Good morning, everyone. My name is Meredith, and I am privileged to be able to read God's Word today. We'll be looking today at Matthew 18, 1 to 20. There are Bibles up the back, or you can follow along on the screen. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now you guys have been looking at Matthew over February, I believe. And I imagine you would have noticed some things reoccurring as you've been looking at Matthew. So in chapter 14, you you would have seen Jesus' greatness. He fed 5,000 people. He walked on water. You would have seen just how great Jesus is. And then in chapter 16, um, you would have seen that the disciples finally kind of recognize Jesus' greatness. Peter identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and then you might remember from that time onwards, Jesus starts to tell them that his greatness involves something surprising. He's actually going to suffer and die before he rises and rules. And then last week, I imagine, um, in chapter 17, again, you saw Jesus' greatness. 
you saw Jesus transformed on the mountaintop. Is this right? Is this what you guys were looking at last week? Yep. So you would have seen he's a king who's human, but he's so much more. He's a king who is God's loved son, divine. And yet, what does Jesus keep talking about across that chapter, chapter 17? Three times he refers to the fact that he's going to suffer and he's going to die before he rises and rules. Now, looking back over these last few weeks, you know, there's no question of of Jesus' greatness. But there's also no question that his greatness involves an enormous humility because he's going to lower himself and serve the people of this world by dying in our place. And along the way, he's made it clear that anyone who wants to follow him is actually going to follow him in these things as well. This is the pattern for anyone who'd follow him. So from these last three weeks in Matthew, you've seen Jesus' greatness, you've seen Jesus' lowliness, and you've also seen our need to to follow him in lowliness. So think again about the question that the disciples ask at at the start of, of chapter 18 in that context. It's pretty disappointing, right? Look again at what they ask. At that time, at the very time that that Jesus is talking about going to the cross, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom? Now maybe their their question is sparked by Jesus talking about leaving, so they're, they're thinking they need a bit of a succession plan here or something like that. Or maybe just every movement needs a 2IC, and so that's why they're talking about this. But whatever their reason, their question shows that their hearts are set on status. They're thinking about greatness as a way of self-promotion. But Jesus, he wants to change their way of thinking. He wants to change their way of thinking completely. In fact, he wants to change them completely. He wants to change anyone who would follow him. This is the first thing we should make sure we hear today. We need to change and become the lowly. We need to change and become the lowly. Now, you notice in the reading, Jesus calls a little child to stand among them. And he he says to them in verse 3, Truly I tell you, this is serious, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never do well in the kingdom. No. You'll never feel happy in the kingdom. No. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's clear that this is serious, right? We need to change to become like a little child or we will never even enter the kingdom of heaven at all. And before we go on, we we really need to know what it means to change and become like a little child, right? You know, what is it about a child that we're to become like? Is it their innocence? Is it their good behavior? Because that kind of depends on which child he, he kind of brought into that circle, right? Well, we see what Jesus, uh, what it is that Jesus says as he keeps speaking. So have a look at verse 4. He says, Therefore, Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The the thing that Jesus 
wants them to see in that child and, and to change in themselves is to become in their own eyes lowly. To see themselves not as great and, and lofty, not as self-important, self-promoting, but self-lowering. That, that's what he wants them to see. This isn't at all, by the way, about having poor self-esteem or something like that. This isn't about thinking badly about themselves or beating themselves up. You know, a little child doesn't have to have poor self-esteem to be lowly, do they? They just are lowly. Have you ever thought about that with children? I used to think about it when my, my kids were little, you know, because you'd strap them into the car all the time. And they sort of had no idea where they were going at that point. They didn't know if they were going on a four-hour trip to holidays or a five-minute trip to get a chicken pox needle or something like that. No one says to the child, hey, are you um, pro-vaccine or against vaccine? They don't even ask that question. It's ridiculous to ask them. That's how lowly they really are. You know, they're loved and they're a joy and a terror. They're incredibly valuable, but what they're not, what a child is not, is high and lofty. Their input is not critical to the governing of the country or the running of a family or an institution. By nature, there's a lowliness to a child, to being a child. And for the most part, children get it, don't they? They get that they're dependent on their parents. And so what naturally follows lowliness is trust in their parents. And Jesus says we need to change and be like that, be like them. We need to accept a, a lowly status. And what follows from this is that we need to trust him like children trust their parents. You see this in verse 6. Have a look at it. Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, and he defines little ones, not, not as children here, but as those who are like children in status, because he says, those who believe in me, they're the little ones. So to be a Christian is to, is to be a little one. It's to take a low status and believe in Jesus. Now, this is, this is really core stuff, and it's always been Jesus' message. What does Jesus say about how you enter the kingdom of heaven? You, you repent and you believe, which means you take a lowly status and you trust him. You, you die to living for self and you live for him. Now the disciples, they've heard this again and again. But still, what are they focused on? They're focused on their own greatness. And so Jesus says they need to change and embrace lowliness. But did you notice what lowliness really is? Look at verse 4. He says, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, true greatness in God's eyes is, is actually willingness to take a lowly position. Now, it feels like you know, an, an irony or a, or a paradox to say that greatness is found in becoming lowly. But it's not a paradox to God. It's his character. It's his heart. It's his beauty. 
His own glory and power is displayed in his own willingness to take a lowly position. You know, this world and and our hearts even, they they sing to us that greatness is found in self-seeking. We're drawn in by this lie and we find it almost irresistible. But God is the great subverter of this lie. Because the truth has always been that greatness is found in self-giving, in serving, not in self-seeking at all. We see true greatness in Jesus. And, and what do we see? We see the glory of God the Son take on weak human flesh. We see Jesus die in humiliation, naked at the cross to serve those who've betrayed God. True greatness really is found in taking the lowly position. It's the way God sees it. And Jesus says taking the lowly position is is the only way to enter his kingdom. So have you ever done that? Have you ever lowered yourself before God? Have you given up living for yourself? Given up your status and entrusted yourself to God like a child entrusts themselves to their parents? If not, do it today because there's no other way to actually be a part of, of God's kingdom. But becoming like a child, that's not merely the way to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's clear that it's also the way to go on in the kingdom. True greatness is true lowliness, and true greatness is ongoing. It's genuine lowliness. And this is the the second thing that we should hear today. We need to keep taking the position of the lowly. And Jesus goes on in in what was read um, before by Meredith. Jesus goes on to show us what this looks like. And in this chapter, we see three things that this means to keep on being the lowly. Taking the position of the lowly means welcoming others who are lowly, we see. It means never causing others to stumble. And it means seeking the wanderer to be reconciled. Now, we're going to very quickly look at each one of these things. So first, taking the position of the lowly means welcoming others who are lowly. So look at look at verse 5. Jesus says, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now remember, one such child here means someone who lowers themselves, someone who believes in Jesus. So this is Jesus saying, whoever welcomes a fellow lowly follower of me because they follow me actually welcomes me. Jesus is saying, if, if we see in lowly people who, who follow him, not self-interest to be exploited, or not a nuisance to be avoided, but if we see Jesus himself to be welcomed, then we're, we're serving Jesus himself. Now, this, this is a massive change of heart for most of us, isn't it? You know, where to see the image of God in all people but in those who believe in, in Jesus, where to see Jesus himself? Think about what that, what that actually means for us. 
we can actually love Jesus in a really earthy, tangible way as we love the lowly. When we do kids' ministry with a heart like this, we're welcoming Jesus. When we give time and care and genuine interest to you know the socially awkward or the poor or the vulnerable because they're a believer, we're welcoming Jesus. When we welcome any believer because they're a believer, we're welcoming Jesus. And we should jump at the possibility of, of opening up our lives to the lowly. But the truth is, we're inclined to extend a real welcome only to people we like, people who are like us, people who can make us feel uplifted or, or good about ourselves, people who are fun and, and good value, people who have kids the same age as our kids or similar interests. You know, there, there are all sorts of reasons we welcome people. But Jesus is talking about we welcoming people simply because they belong to him. Jesus isn't talking about just, you know, saying g'day on a Sunday as um, someone walks through the door at church. He's talking about taking a lowly position that means living in a way that, that actually seeks to open up our hearts to his followers. And this means we extend the welcome, whether we, we click with people or not, whether they seem important in our eyes or not, whether it's mutually enjoyable or not. One of the um, amazing things that I just love about church and, and churches, um, uh, healthy churches, is, is that you'll find people drawn together who would not associate otherwise. Have you noticed that about churches? Young and old, rich and poor, different cultures. Sometimes I sort of find it amusing where you've got the kind of professor at uni, very good, upright, law-abiding, chatting to the ex-criminal, who I know can't really read very well. And there they are in the same community group, brothers and sisters in Christ welcoming each other because as they do that, they're welcoming Jesus himself. Now this should characterize who we are in, in really very practical ways from who we are on a Sunday right through to who we are midweek as well. You know, for us, if we're, if we're listening to Jesus here, welcoming doesn't end on a Sunday. In fact, Sunday is just the beginning. If you take the lowly position, you, you serve people by opening up your lives to them, opening up your homes to them. So let me just sort of ask you a question just to um, hopefully stay with you beyond today as well. Who is it that you have into your home? Or who is it that you invite go and get a coffee with you or, or go for a walk or whatever it is. If the answer is no one, then how are you actually living this? Or if the answer is you only have people who are all within five years of how old you are, all similar jobs to you, all of the same cultural background as you, then you're not welcoming the lowly in Jesus' name because of their faith in him. You're actually welcoming people in your own name because it's social and it's, it's enjoyable. Well, here's another question. Whose life situations are you aware of right now? You know, who do you know who's struggling? Who do you know who's celebrating? Where are you sharing their burdens 
sharing their joys, welcoming them into your life. And are you doing that simply because they belong to Jesus? Now, when I'm honest, I know I'm, I'm actually not naturally good at this at all. And, and I reckon actually um, not many of us are naturally good at this. Some of you are. Some of you I've even learned from here when you used to be at church at Modbury with me. Uh, you're great at this. Um, you see people through Jesus' eyes. You welcome them in amazing ways. But I think for most of us, this doesn't come naturally. I, I think that's the point. I think that's why Jesus is saying this to us here. Now, the next thing, taking the position of the lowly means, is it means never causing others to stumble. Look again at, at verse 6. Jesus says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the ocean. If you welcome a little one, you welcome Jesus. If you trip up a little one in their faith, you reject Jesus. You invite his anger. Now, this makes sense. If someone sins against my, my kids, got four of them, someone sins against them in a way that endangers them or sends their life on a destructive path, would I just sit back as a parent and be indifferent? No way. Of, of course I would be angry and and. Jesus says he'll not sit back when someone endangers our faith or if we endanger someone else's. Taking the position of the lowly actually means we're not willing to let our own sin or anything we do cause other people to stumble in their faith. When we see just how valuable all people are, all lowly believers are to Jesus, then we'll be careful not to despise even a single one of them, however insignificant someone might seem to us. And this means we take our sins so seriously that we deal with it. So are you the lowly? Then this means for you being humble enough to take your sin seriously and to deal with it. You know, does your, your pride threaten to, to trip others up? Take steps to deal with it. Does your lust endanger someone else's faith in Jesus? Then. Take steps to deal with it, Jesus is saying. Do you have so little control of, of what you say that you, you risk hurting people and driving them away by saying something flippant and offensive? Or do you have a problem with gossip that turns relationships to toxic? Or do you use alcohol in a, in a way that actually sets a bad example to others? Do you have an inclination to whinge and and turn people's thankfulness into bitterness and complaining. Wherever we find sin in our lives, we, we actually need to take serious steps to deal with it. This is not about being perfect. This is about being lowly. Lowly enough to realize that, that sin ignores, ignored can cause you to stumble and it can cause others to stumble. It, it takes great humility, actually, to be honest about sin. First, honest to God and ourselves. Second, honest to the people that we hurt, we endanger. And then third, honest to the people who might be able to help us. But if we follow Jesus, we're the lowly. We take our sin seriously for the sake of others.
The third thing taking the lowly position means for us is that it means seeking the wanderer to be reconciled. Now, at this point, you would have noticed Jesus tells them a parable about how a shepherd would leave the 99 to seek the one lowly sheep that's wandered off. Now, Jesus' point is, is this is how God works too, just like this. God's heart is to seek the lowly and to bring them back. God is, is on about reconciliation. He, he doesn't want people to perish. And the reason Jesus is telling this parable here is that he's seeking people who share God's heart like that. He wants us to be lowly enough to, to seek reconciliation. Look at verse 15. He says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Jesus has just told us what to do when we find our own sin. Here he tells us what we should do when we find someone else sinning. Now, it's not clear whether this is someone else sinning against us personally or just sinning in general. Based on what Peter asks, uh, which I assume you'll come back to in Matthew at some time, he seems to take it as someone sinning against, uh, against us personally because he asks, how many times do you have to forgive them? But... Whether it is someone sinning against us or just someone sinning in general, Jesus is telling us how to approach this as the lowly. And his point is, instead of seeking justice or seeking to humiliate someone or seeking to vindicate ourselves, our heart as the lowly is to seek reconciliation no matter how lowly or insignificant the other person might seem. All these steps that he gives, they're they're all about going out of our way to pursue the lost rather than to just cut them off, which is sadly how we would naturally approach it. The father goes to great effort to seek people and his joy is, is real when people are reconciled and we're to be just like him. And you know what I think is is really sad is that sometimes this passage, um, maybe you've heard this, sometimes this passage is seen as a way that you can deal with someone who's wronged you in the church. And it's seen as a way of trying to force someone into admitting their their fault. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But taking taking this passage that way is actually to rip the heart out of this completely and to turn it into something hideous. This is all about not forcing people to see their fault. This is all about reconciliation. This is all about the lowly seeking the lowly. It's about sharing the heart of God to, to see the wanderer brought home. Don't you reckon that completely changes how you um, approach someone who's sinning? Changes your motivation. The lowly seeking the lowly for reconciliation. And Jesus gives us four steps here to seek someone who's lost. So first he says, when someone sins, taking the lowly position means you go to them and you go to them alone. You don't gossip. You don't broadcast. Neither do you cut them off and pretend nothing happened but turn passive-aggressive. Nothing like that. You go with a heart seeking reconciliation and, and you do everything you can to make it easy for them to listen to you. Now, that, that takes great humility, don't you reckon? Especially 
if you've genuinely been wronged and hurt by that person, treated unfairly. But if your heart is reconciliation, and, and if they listen to you, you've won them over. Not to your side. You, you, you've won them back to the side of Jesus. But if they won't listen, that they won't take their sin seriously, and if they're in danger of, of being lost to God forever, they're, they're at risk of endangering their salvation, of causing others to stumble because of their sin. Then you, then you move on to the second step. And the second step in taking the lowly position is to take two to three witnesses so that it's clear that this is not simply a personal thing that you've got against them. And this is still about seeking reconciliation. This is still about wanting them to, to win them back to Jesus. It's not about trying to get people to take sides, which is where we naturally go. And so again, we should do everything we can to help them listen. But if they won't listen, the third step, Jesus says, is to take it to the whole gathering of believers. And, and this sounds harsh, but it's actually still about reconciliation. And even the fourth and final step in verse 17 is still about reconciliation. Jesus says, if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And we so easily, we so easily sorry, misunderstand this because we think, oh, this is about punishing people, right? But think about it. How did Jesus treat tax collectors? Well, he loves them and treats them as incredibly valuable. And because of that, he calls them to repent and believe. What Jesus is saying here is that, that at this point, we should call a spade a spade. You know, think about it. Let's say if someone says to me, Stephen, you're committing adultery and you shouldn't. And imagine if I say, so what? And then if three people say, no, Stephen, really, it's not right. And I say, go away and mind your own business. What I do in my personal life is, is none of your business. And then if the whole church says to me, no, it's really not okay. You need to take Jesus seriously. If I won't listen at that point, I've shown myself to actually not be a follower of Jesus at all, not be the lowly. And the most loving thing that people can do for me at that point would not be to say, oh, well, we tried. It, it doesn't really matter. The loving thing would be to say, we love you, but you need to humble yourself and return to Jesus. And until you do that, we're just not going to pretend that everything is okay and you're a part of his kingdom. You know, there's a humility in seeking to reconcile with someone when they've wronged us. And there's a humility in being willing to see that through and being willing to say it really does matter it's actually a, a proud thing to say i know that jesus has got a problem with sin but i'm actually okay with it now just before i move on i, I need to actually point out a couple more things because this is what to do with people who call themselves followers of jesus uh, it's it's got nothing to do with uh, how we would treat non-christians amongst us if you're not a believer here amongst us it's, it's not how we should treat you at all this is about a Christian seeking to restore another Christian who's sinning. And the other thing to say is that there are some scenarios that are more complicated than the scenario that Jesus is talking about here as well. So if someone is a leader and is sinning, and especially where there's you know power imbalance, 
it might not be as straightforward as speaking to them one-to-one. There are some times that, that you actually need to take a different approach. And if there's ever abuse, it's entirely appropriate that the person abused doesn't need to confront their abuser one-to-one. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Now, my point is that the heart of this is that we point out sin in order to see people restored to Jesus. So we don't do nothing and we don't take destructive action. We take the right action, which for most of us in most situations is you know, to try and win the person back one-to-one. But sometimes the right action where there's, there's a gross abuse of power or a power imbalance, sometimes the right action is different. It's not gossip. It's not doing nothing about it. It's to speak to the leadership team or it's to report it to the police, or it's to report it to some other official channel. What Jesus is saying here should, you know, should never be twisted like occasionally happens as a reason that we wouldn't report something or, or speak to people. That, that is not the intention of it at all. Now the final thing to see is that Jesus is powerfully with the lowly. Jesus is powerfully with the lowly. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The the church is this collection of lowly people. That's who we are. But we're not simply a collection of lowly people. We are the way that Jesus is building his kingdom. And how people choose to relate to this lowly group of people, the church, seals our fate forever, for all eternity. You know, as we repent and put our faith in Jesus, as we take our place in his community, we're loosed from death by Jesus. And as we, the church, declare the gospel to people, we see people either bound in judgment as they reject Jesus or loosed in forgiveness as they turn to him. We, we know we're not much. We know we're, we're lowly. And yet we should also know that the church is the very way that Jesus intends to build his kingdom through us, the lowly. And this is what Jesus says. Look at verse 19. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. We're the lowly. But as we take the lowly position, we're not alone. Jesus is is here with us, even now, himself. The church is lowly, but this is where Jesus sees true greatness. Now, our world... It values humility to a degree, doesn't it? You know, our world, it, it tends to value it in others, values humility in others. And people generally want to appear to be humble themselves, but actual lowliness, actually being lowly doesn't appeal to most people. But we of all people, we need to be the ones who see the beauty of lowliness and the greatness of humility. We need to be those people. We need to be those who lower ourselves and and repent and trust Jesus. 
We need to be those who lower ourselves and, and truly welcome other lowly people like us. We need to be those who lower ourselves and will call out the sin in our own lives as well as seek those who are caught up in sin and wandering. We need to be the lowly, just like Jesus, and we need to see greatness in that. Let me pray for us. Father, um, just like the disciples, we are so prone to be self-seeking. We don't even see it, but you see it. Uh, You see the way our hearts are inclined to go for greatness in a twisted human way instead of in the way that you see greatness. We pray, Lord, that we would change, that we would lower ourselves before you, and that we would go on being the lowly. Lord, help us uh, to see where true greatness really does lie as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who even though he is worthy of all glory and honor, lowered himself to death, a humiliating death on the cross in our place. Lord, make our lives and our hearts like him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.